If you have your Bibles with you, that's good. You can open it up to the, our verse that we're reading is Luke chapter 6. If you don't have the Bible, you can look in the, I think it is in the, in the worship guide. The reading is in the worship guide. Yes, it is. It's in the worship guide. So you can look in the back page and you can find the reading there. And I have been sharing a series of uh, messages based on the parables of Jesus. But in the Sunday school that I do before the service, and then we repeat after the service, we are dealing with modern-day parables. Today we saw one in which there is a crew, a group of workers, and some of you may have seen it in session also. They are actually building an airplane. Building an airplane while on flight. The kingdom of God is like building your life while living it. <laughs> so the kingdom of God is like building light of hope as we're flying through the air, time and space here in our community. Uh, and it kind of gives us a sense of the urgency and what God is doing with us and for us. We also saw one where we had an old man who, who usually goes to the park and he sits in the park every single day to feed the pigeons. One day he gets to the park and the bench is full of people and he's kind of teed off because now he doesn't have his space. So he goes and he goes to Ikea and he buys a red chair. He takes the chair to the park, puts it beside the bench. He sees that he has more freedom than the other guys who are stuck in that bench that's welded to the ground. So he takes the chair and puts it by the lake and now has a different perspective. He actually takes the, sh the chair further away and moves it to the ocean side where he sees an airplane. And he gets evil thoughts. And he goes to a ticket agency and he buys a ticket. We notice that as he's purchasing the ticket, he leaves behind his walking cane and grabs the chair and literally goes around the world playing with kids, trying to dance flamenco, trying to learn French, playing soccer in the desert, trying to get on top of a horse that the chair can't help because the horse is too big. And he's having the time of his life. He returns to the bench where now there are less people than before. And the chair is full of stickers from every country around the world that he had been with a chair. And he lays it in front of him. He looks at him and walks away. A voice then suddenly says, do something different. That's it. Do something different. Enjoy the world. In the stories that I'm sharing with you, Jesus is basically sharing stories of agriculture, stories that people around him would actually understand what he was talking about. When I mentioned the idea of building an airplane while on flight, it sounds illogical, it sounds remote, but we could kind of imagine it, right? Because we live in that technological world that we know what an airplane looks like. Some of us may have been inside those aluminum tubes that fly around 300 miles an hour through the air. It's an aluminum too, that's what it is. Uh, and, and we're comfortable in that. So modern day parables speak to us today. The parables of Jesus spoke directly to his culture, to the people, the women and men and children that were hanging around with him. In this, the parables that we have shared in the past few weeks, uh, we have shared parables of light. 
And in that parable of light where, the, where you don't take a lamp and put it under a bushel or put it under a chair, Jesus was reminding his disciples that they better pay attention to the teachings that he is sharing with them because they are light, they are life, and they can change our lives forever. They are wisdom, they are light to our feet and a lamp unto our path. We also saw or heard that the following week the parables of the two individuals. The two individuals, one was a merchant, the other one was a person walking along a field. The merchant finds the most beautiful pearl of them all, while the other individual finds a treasure buried in the land. We found out that that was common in those days to have buried treasures. But both who found something that they considered to be extremely valuable, that they considered to be extremely priceless for themselves, both went out and sold everything they had, everything they had, so they can possess either the land where the treasure was or the pearl of priceless value. So those are the teachings that we have been working with. Listening to God is a serious thing. It's a priceless thing. And it's a life-changing opportunity. Today I wish to share with you a little bit about the wisdom, how Jesus spoke about wisdom, how Jesus brings it home and, and shares about wisdom. For the Jewish community, wisdom was a big thing. Actually, the, the largest church in Christendom that lasted for over a thousand years, maintaining a membership of over a thousand people, is called Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom in the city of Istanbul, Turkey. Today is a museum of Byzantine art, but it held the largest congregation of Christians for over a thousand years, and it was right there in the Isthmus of Turkey. Beautiful congregation that sent missions throughout the entire world and beyond. Uh, in today's text, as we read the, the parable, and, and let's read the story as Jesus is sharing with his disciples. Now notice this is not a parable of the kingdom. Jesus is not going to compare what's going to happen with the kingdom. Instead, listen carefully to the comparison that Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. I ask you to please listen to and for the word of the Lord. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teachings, and then follows it. It's like a person building a, high, a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood water rise and break again, that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the flood sweeps down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. The word of the Lord. I am sure that most of you here with uh, 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 insisting white hair, meaning insisting it keeps coming out, I try to cover mine. Uh, with, with gray hair, or, or like Nate or Jay or Kevin, who just made motion that he's got less than any, uh, I'm sure that you must have heard uh, at least between 20 to 30 sermons on this topic. You know why? 
I'm guessing that, I think I'm, it's a somewhat of an educated guess, because if you have been in church at least 30 years in your life, your life, how many of you have been hanging around this place for 30 years in your life? And you guys are not flying yet? You must have heard a message on this parable at least once every other year. Right? So, I have nothing else to teach you because you've heard it all. So I'm going to wrap up and go home. Oh, something different. He just threw back the parable at me. I love it. That means you're engaged. We are together. I will. Okay, okay. I'll do something different. Today I want to focus on three concepts of the parable. Not so much what the parable is talking about. You know, we think the real concept is the foundation. We think the real story is about the storm that's coming over. No, no, no. Listen carefully to what Jesus says at the beginning. This is very different. It is not about the foundation. It is not about the water. It is not about the storm. Guess what the story is about? The lordship of Jesus. It's not about the foundation and the storms. It's about who are you following? Who is your Lord? Because that's how the story begins. Um, can I have four of you, four hands, four hands, quickly, four hands. Can all of you say, Lord, Lord, Lord? Go ahead, one, two, three. <laughs> no, um, my head didn't blow up, no. But that's why do you keep calling me Lord if, if you're not doing what I'm telling you? That's what's going on there. So it's about who rules your heart, who rules your heart, who rules your house, who rules your emotions, who rules your attitudes. It is about the lordship of Jesus. So I want to take three words that show up in the whole idea. One of them is lordship. I'm going to take wisdom and I'm going to take foundation just because it's a story there. It's there. Okay? In lordship. It is interesting that many of the individuals that were dealing with this, that heard Jesus, they heard many different things. Because in those days, Kyrie was the word Lord, but Kyrie was also the word for Kyrie Adonai, the Holy One of Israel. So if you're a Jewish person listening to Jesus calling himself Lord, he says, who is he to call himself Lord? We believe in one God above and beyond. Baruch Atov Adonai. That's it. So to the Jewish listener, there's a challenge there. There is a, there's a tension. Because Jesus is calling himself Lord. And the only way that in the Jewish mentality he could be called Lord was if he was Messiah. So over and over, that is the angle that Matthew, John, and some of the other gospel writers, Luke and, and, and Mark may even take to emphasize the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Those of you who took the study with me in the gospel of John, we found out that the main topic of the book, of the, the purpose of the book of John is so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is what? Is the son of, is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life eternal. So the gospel writers and, and the promoters of Jesus were saying Jesus is the Lord. But if you were a Roman citizen, you had another issue. Because Kyrie was a title only for Caesar. Kyrie Caesar. Lord of all. And in those days, the, 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 the president was your Lord at home. The power of the emperor filtered not only through the layers of, of structure of government in Rome, but it went strictly into your home, and you were supposed to worship that 
figure in your home. When you went to a basilea, where the word basilica comes from, a government building in those days, as you walked into that place, there was an incensarium, a worship center. And you were supposed to dash a dash of incense and drop it in the fire as you proclaimed and stated, Caesar hocurios esti. Caesar is my Lord. But yet, if you were a philosopher, a Greek, who didn't care about the government so much, who cared about philosophy, the thought, the, the reflection of life, then if you heard Christos Hocurios Esti, Jesus is Lord, you had a problem. Because those philosophers, like many Americans today, which I relate, as I'm studying, I realize, oh my gosh, that's us. Philosophers, where we design and decide our life according to our own liking. We may not have Caesar or Obama as one we worship at home and don't stop. <laughs> no, where I'm at. We may not even have uh, the worship of, 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 of our gods or statues in our homes. But we, like the old Epicureans, we, like the old hedonists of the days of Paul, we, like the old philosophers, follow our own thinking, our own will, our own opinion. Thus, curios esti ego y mi. You understood that one, right? I am the Lord of myself. Hmm. So for the first century believer, they had to figure out, is the Lord God or Messiah? Is the Lord the government and my nationalism? Or is the Lord myself? Those were their three choices. But Jesus gave them a fourth alternative. You don't have to say, Cesar Hocurios esti, Caesar is my Lord. You don't have to say that, that uh, I am my Lord, because we know where that takes us. We can say, Jesus, Jesu Christos, Hocurios esti. And when they said that in the first three centuries of the church, in different areas at different times, that was a statement that would cost your life. We, we, we have no idea what it is to pay that price. Actually, most of us will go underground or we'll stay above ground, but that church thing, take the Bible away, take the crust from there. No, even mention God. I know families that they had to do that in Cuba. Believers in Jesus Christ. But because a government and a system and a community hated God or any authority beyond the Caesar that was there. They had to worship in hiding. One day I remember going to Cuba uh, and, and, and I almost got arrested because I think I'm an American. I'm, you know, mm -mm. I left without shoes. I left without a suit. And I left without my Bible. I had to get me some little shoes at the airport. Because I met a pastor who was hiding and holding good uh, uh, Monday, Thursday services in his house, risking his life. And, and he didn't have shoes, he didn't have a new Bible, and he didn't have a suit. And he was my size. So I left the place without my jacket, without my, I had my pants on and my shirt, okay. 
But they had to pay the price of risking their life to be able to proclaim to one another, Jesus is Lord. One of the words it also brings up in this whole uh, story of Jesus is the word wisdom. Oh, and we think we got it all together as we prayed. The foolishness in scripture does not include God in life. They do things on their own. Actually, they include God a little bit here, a little bit there. They're what we call salad bar Christians who go and pick and choose. Yeah, they pick and choose what they like about Christianity. And they make a religion because it's not Christianity. They make a religion according to themselves. So the foolish does not include God in life. They are superficial, very superficial. They are reactionaries, fighters. Many are angry and resentful. They tend to see things for value, for what's in it for me, the wimp factor. They are factual. They are insecure. They need all their ducks always in a row. Mystery is not part of their lives. They do not use thinking, reflection, or meditation in decision-making. They tend to be emotional, quick, and inconsistent. Can stick to things, have very little self-discipline, and are unpredictable and erratic. Anybody with me there? Liars. <laughs> I love you guys. In scripture, wisdom, on the other hand, is described in, in many verses, particularly in the wisdom literature, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, even in, in, in uh, extra-biblical material like in Baruch and the wisdom literature. It says that wisdom is considered pure, gentle, peaceable, genuine, merciful, and humble. Wisdom is the crown of attributes. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like the crown jewel. It is better than silver and gold. It is blessed to have it and folly not to. Wisdom is advice from above. It is the truth, understanding, and knowledge that actually works. It's not just theories. It actually works. Scripture reminds us that wisdom is a how that by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise person is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might by acquiring wisdom, which is acquired from the counseling of many. James actually says, if anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone thinks you don't have it, let him ask of the Lord who gives generously to all without reproach. I like that phrase. He gives it generously to all without reproach. Can I say that again? He gives it generally to all without reproach. Getting wisdom, the Proverbs say, is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So wisdom is definitely, wisdom is definitely something that the Lord is asking us to seek, to go beyond that superficial, reactionary, what I call the commercial life, that you respond to commercials, let's go buy it. I need one of those. That's what kids say. We are training ourselves. We, I mean, the society and, 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 and corporations are turning us into consumers. They're not turning us. We are consumers. That's why we respond to their commercials. That's what we get and we buy the stuff that we get because we respond to their commercials. If you live disconnected, off, uh, unplugged, you wouldn't have any of that because you wouldn't see the commercials. You wouldn't need any of it because you would not see the commercials of the things that they're producing. So seeking wisdom 
is something that the scriptures encourage us to all do and to be involved in that process throughout our entire lives. There is a third word that's there, and it's the word foundation. The word foundation, I'm going to share it with you. From the builder's perspective, it is the, the, the stability and use of structure depends on its foundation. The foundation determines the, all else in the structure. It does. Actually, uh, the, the, the infrastructure and the ultrastructure, the infra is what goes within and the ultra is what goes outside, it all depends on the kind of foundation. Met a pastor of fund development at the conference of 1001 New Worship and Communities in St. Pete last week. He is uh, a fundraiser for churches for 1001 communities. And his church was going through a redevelopment process of the building. And they had a crack in their foundation in California, Southern California. Surprise! They began with a budget of, of $3 million to build the foundation suddenly. New regulations had developed, and the two, what did I say, $2 million to begin turning to $14 million. They had to build a boat. If you know what that is, if, you don't, if you're not from South Southern California, then I'm not, I had to ask, what's that? A boat is a foundation in such a way that it not only covers the bottom, but the sides of the entire, where the building is at. So when there's an earthquake, it can all rocks from left to right, up and down, and the entire foundation, along with the boat and the structure, moves with the earthquake, and it doesn't crack. Who knew? A boat as a foundation. From $2 million project to $14 million project. So a foundation is necessary, especially in Southern California, or if you have a museum of Corvettes, you may want to do that too. Another story. Foundations as a skill. In life, we all need those foundations. Actually, we are involved in an amazing ministry here at Light of Hope, a brand new ministry. How many of you knew that there is activity in this building as of last Monday at 7.30 in the morning? Some of you knew about it. Okay. That there is a group of, of kids gathering down here. Parents bring them. They're right at the door right down here. And they gather there. And, and how many of you have seen the red, red engine, fire engine bus out there? Well, the ministry is that we are transporting those kids from our neighborhood to Richards Christian Academy every morning and afternoon. It's been happening for a week. I'll show you a picture later on. Wonderful opportunity. Why are we doing that? Why did we get into that expense? Why did the Lord give us for a dollar a, a van? Why? Because of foundations. In the first summer camp, we found out that entry skills, foundational skills such as reading, reading, 90% of our kids in the first summer camp were behind. Foundational skills. 92 were behind in math. Foundational skills. If they don't have that, their future is at least uncertain. So you responded to that as we began to work with a summer camp this year. And many parents, so we are in that ministry because we found out that foundations in the children of our community is necessary. How many of you knew that once a year, the Department of Corrections in some states calls the Department of Education? Did you know that communication existed? We know because we've been talking about it. 
Well, the once a year, the Department of Correction asks the Department of Education, how many children in your educational system failed to get to standard in the third grade? And that information has a direct correlation with how many new cells and prisons will be built for the future. Let's, uh-huh. That's why we're involved in this ministry. Do you understand it now? It is foundation building, but not only in entry skills of reading and math. They are going to a Christian school where the foundations of faith are being planted, where the foundations of hope are being seeded, where the plantations of faith and love are being shared. These kids are changing already. One of them reported to his grandmother that, that he stopped. His grandmother went to pick him up. He said, stop, stop, mom. Stop, grandma. Why? I want to say goodbye to my teacher. Wow. Amazing. Because he knows that he is cared for. He knows that he can be successful there. He knows that people there believe what his parents and grandparents believe. And he is in a safe place. So we go and we go and, and, and open this ministry. From human perspective, foundation is our basic beliefs and attitudes that rule our thinking. These are the past experiences that shape our thinking, our feelings and decision making. Attitudes and beliefs that shape who we are today. If you thought that God was a judgmental old man waiting for you to make a mistake to beat you up over the head, you live the life of hiding. Because you knew he was looking for you. How many of you grew up with a, a judgmental God in image? Uh, uh, oh, come on, Baptist. I know your stories. You told me. How many of you believe with a God that didn't care? That you do your thing and God does his thing. That's the one that every, most of us grew up with, right? And that you were running after God forgot to pay attention to you. If you have those attitudes and beliefs about God, you know what's that going to do to your spiritual life? It's going to be a mess. Because it's not based on the truth. You see, your beliefs and attitudes have to be correct according to the real truth so that your life will be correct. If our beliefs are not right, our lives are not right. If our beliefs are lopsided, our attitudes are lopsided. If our beliefs and attitudes are lopsided, our life is lopsided. So by getting our lives, our attitudes, and that's a process of learning. It takes time. And we go dig deeper like the gardener did last week. We dig deeper to discover and remove and build anew. We live and examine life. So I'm asking you this morning, do you know the foundation in which your life is built upon? Do you know the Lordship? Who do you follow? Who is your Lord? Who are you seeking wisdom from? Is your foundation for real or temporary? Have you begun to build a life? Have you begun to build And I'm wondering, does anyone need to begin rebuilding? It's okay. We're in time. God is calling all of us to allow him, the architect, the engineer, the designer, the general contractor, to build our lives. But you know what you have to do? Three things, very easy. You have to listen. You have to listen. Listening is being here. So you're here. You're one. One for you guys. 
Secondly, you have to follow. You have to follow. Not everything, but follow what you understood today. And the next week, follow what you understood that day. And little by little, you will begin to understand that you're following Jesus. And thirdly, you got to take a risk. Oh, yeah. There is no life without its yearning. There is no life without its pain. You've heard of an exercise? There is no gain if there is no pain. Well, in spirituality, Jesus invites you to take a risk. Walk with him. Follow him. Make him more and more the Lord of your life. And as you develop that, as you grow into his lordship, as you grow into, his, into him being your Lord and him being your foundation and Jesus being the Lord of all, then you can answer the question. pray. Dear God, we thank you for showing us who we really are. We prayed it last week, Lord, show me me. And you have, and it's been scary at times, but you are there. And you're there not to make us feel guilty. You're there not to condemn us. You're not there to point at us. You're there to restore, to make us new. And we thank you for the privilege of calling you Kyria. Lord, Señor, Bawana. We thank you, O God, that you teach us and build the foundation of our lives. And we thank you, O God, that you promise to be with us, build with us, renew us, rebuild us, remake us, we just have to be willing to let you do it. In Jesus' name we pray as we sing together, He is Lord. We pray. We pray that you do become our Lord.